One, two, three. Welcome to Highest Potential with Dr. Steve Pettit, a podcast that explores the many ways Bob Jones University is advancing God's kingdom through Christian education with the biblical worldview. I'm Daniel Lehman, a current student at BJU and co-host for this podcast. Well, this week we've had uh, some tremendous messages in our chapel series on the theme of standards and convictions. And one of them was by Dr. Les Olala, who is the director of, of, of Building Great Leaders. And uh, Les is uh, an experienced um, preacher of God's Word and greatly used of the Lord. And I know, I know the students enjoyed him this week. Mm-hmm. Daniel, how did, how, when you sat there and listened to Les, what were some of the things that were going through your mind? Some of the things is, this is just a good old boy from Michigan. I was really engaged with that. I, know I grew up in the Midwest, so I was relating with a lot of the stuff he was saying. He definitely was humorous, was catching on. He was very funny, and then he was just preaching straight from the Word, just giving us well, that truth. Well, he's definitely the master of hyperbole, so mm. he, he says a lot of humorous things. But I think what makes Les so, so good is in the end, he's always going to come out where you are to serve unselfishly. Mm. And live your life for others. Mm-hmm. And when you approach standards and convictions, uh, that is a main part of it, and that is serving out of love. So, uh, we're excited to have Dr. O here on our podcast as we talk about standards and convictions. So, let's listen together and enjoy our time with Les Well, we'd like to welcome you today to this episode of Highest Potential. I'm Steve Pettit, president here at Bob Jones University. And we're delighted today to have an old friend here with us, Dr. Les Olala. Les, thanks for being here today. Oh, what a privilege. We're so glad that you're here. You, you were with us back in February uh, when we honored you with a Lifetime Achievement Award for Leadership here at BJU. And uh, you came back here to speak for a special week of chapels here and uh, had you speak uh, on the theme of standards and convictions and why, why are they important for believers today. And uh, I know in your role as a leader, uh, this is something that you've had to work through for years. And uh, take us back, because your, your ministry has been so uh, broad, from local church to revival ministry to college ministry to now building uh, great leaders through the ministry that you have, you've established as you travel and speak. Uh, but let, let's talk to the subject today and, and help the people of God uh, understand the importance of standards and convictions. Well, after we left South Carolina and uh, I became the associate pastor of Calvary Baptist in Roseville, Michigan, a third of my responsibility was the youth, youth group. And I felt, I told Dr. Rhodes, I said, I, I can do outreach and, and that, but youth is just not up my alley. And uh, I was too much of a bushwhacker to be attractive and and so what it did, I thought, if, if, if I am going to be involved, what does the Bible say about this? Hmm. And so I thought, uh, did they ever work with young people in the Bible? So I got that fixed in my mind. And if they did, how did they do it? And what was the ultimate goal of what they did? And then I, I had the young people do a, I, I put names out like Noah, uh, Joseph, Daniel, etc. And I said who they were, what they did, what the world did, 
uh, what God did and what was the result. So I, I had a chart where they would fill out studying Bible characters mm -hmm. and who were world impactors. And so I looked at that, and then what were the characteristics of world impactors? And there was not a single one that was about himself, mm. none, yeah. who impacted the world for God's glory. And the one who were not impactors, who really were a devastation regarding the concept of God's glory, were those who were self-servers. So then I thought, okay, now you have, if you're having a group and you have an area of responsibility, what should be the guidelines? In other words, uh, you need to have policies for operation. So I, I uh, started parent meetings so I could explain why we were doing what we were doing. And when we went on trips, why did we have certain standards for our travel? Why did we have certain standards for participants? And uh, I was very clear to make a distinction between participators and spectators. Mm. I said, I discovered in the scripture there was never a standard put on a spectator. Mm. It was always standard was placed on the participator. Mm. If a man desired the office of a bishop, he does a good work. Therefore, bing, 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 all of these standards. You don't right, ever see right. that on <coughs> someone who is just a spectator. And so then I thought, okay, now the difficulty is you set a standard. And the standard doesn't have a chapter and a verse because that's always a give me chapter and verse on that. Right, right. And uh, and I I went through there and I, I distinguished their institutional standards, individual standards. In other words, institutions to function have to have a certain level of standards, which demands you have a certain level of policies. Same thing with an individual's life. How does he determine to live? Mm. And so I, I said there's a distinction between absolutes in standards and relatives in standards. An absolute uh, can stand on its own. It needs nothing else to give it meaning. It is truth, period. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> God is absolute. His word is absolute. But then you, you set a standard uh, for that that is not an absolute. So it's true in relationship to the function of that institution. For example, when uh, I was at Northline all those years, we obviously had a handbook. So I did a session to them, carry over from the youth ministry, how do you survive the handbook here? Right. right so I called it How to Survive the Student Handbook. And so I made the distinctions between what is an absolute, thou shalt not kill, nobody ever in our 57 years of ministry has ever come and said, I cannot figure out this. I can't kill my roommate. How, how do you explain that? Right. Or can't steal. How do you think I'm right, going to get through? Right. Never. Because that's, that's a given. It's, it's always true. Uh, but now, what about lights out time? And what about uh, travel as groups and so on? So you have standards for that particular thing. And, and uh, for going into town where we were located and you set a standard and and where do you find the reason for that? Right. Well, if you don't have a clearly stated purpose, you really don't have any reason for policy. But if you establish a very clear purpose, then the policy has to support that purpose. Yeah, so the why is always preeminent before the what. Yeah. Right. And, and so when you look at, the, at that whole idea... That is, uh, 
that is there is a uh, a personal and institutional but i i dealt mostly with institutional policy because that's where everybody's living you have yeah, to yeah. have policies so someone comes in and if they don't understand the purpose of the institution they have no ability to relate to why they have this particular policy right and of course we were preparing workers for the harvest field we were preparing soldiers and athletes and farmers the three metaphors that that paul used uh, to combat self-seeking and to combat the uh, shortcut taking combat being a sluggard right and so these were the three metaphors that he used and if you're going to be a disciple and if you're going to be a disciple or find faithful men who shall in turn teach others and these people have to have these three metaphors active in their life i'm soldiering i am keeping the law under the athletic standard i am uh, not lazy as a, as a farmer. And so when you clearly state your purpose, we were preparing warriors mm -hmm. for going into the battle in a dark world, a dark decaying world. So based on that, we had to have policies that would fit the purpose. And right. so consequently, it's not like you're going to a state university and uh, all you have to do is get your parking permits and get right. that and... Class is optional, and uh, where where if you're preparing workers for harvest field work and you're preparing workers, soldiers for Christ, they have to come under the standards of discipline that come where I have to learn what Adam and Eve missed in Genesis chapter 3, this concept of obedience. Right. Because they believe Satan's lie. And so we find the first battle a leader faces is how to get people to comprehend why obedience is so crucial. Mm. Not obedience equals salvation, but when I'm functioning as a believer, obedience has to be very crucial in my life. And the scripture is filled with that. Well, you know, if I, if I can jump in here as, as I'm thinking through <coughs> what you're saying, because, you know, the role of a, you know, basically you're talking about the role of a leader in all of this, because the leader has to be the clarifier of the mission. And it seems like whenever I meet with people and talk about leadership, the first question in my mind is, what is your mission? What are you trying to accomplish? Because that, that's what flows out of that. And when we talk about mission, you, you talked about it yesterday, that God's glory is first and preeminent. Mm -hmm. And then how is that going to relate to the people we're serving in, within the framework of this mission? And it seems like everything else flows out of that. Right. And that's, that's your reference point. Mm. You know, that's, that's your thesis. God is and God has spoken. Mm. And if he is and he has spoken, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 makes very plain that Adam was created and that baton is handed to the rest of anybody born since that time to be a reflector of the communicable attributes of God. Mm. Made in the image of God was not a physical likeness. Mm -hmm. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So what was that? Adam was given the role to reflect the communicable attributes of God. Mm. And it, that was number one in his leadership. And, uh, and what a wonderful father who reflects God's communicable attributes. Mm. And he was preparing him. What a wonderful husband 
to reflect God's communicable attributes, the agape love, the fruit of the Spirit, and, mm. so, and so on. And, um, and where the first thing Satan went after, because he hated God, mm. he went after to mar that reflector. Mm. And the only way to get to mar that reflector that God created was to get that reflector to walk in disobedience to God's stated purpose for him. Mm. And that step in, that's why Second Corinthians chapter ten, uh, where it talks about casting down imaginations right. and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every captivity, every thought into captivity and obedience, and to the obedience, yeah. and obedience, right? Very crucial that that is in there because you you bring a thought into captivity, but is that thought being brought into obedience as well? Well, the first thing Satan goes after in any policy that is set in a person who is in an institution with a stated purpose of going into the world as reflectors of God's communicable attributes is to go after the concept of obedience. Right. Don't listen. Be your own self. Be your own man. When my, <clears throat> when my oldest son came here, uh, to Bob Jones, uh, we we sat down and had a conversation about uh, the mission of the school, why you're here, what's your intention, what's your purpose, and then how to how to how to live with the student body and how to live within the framework. And I said, actually, it's not that complicated. I said, it really it really comes down to love. And if you will say, I I'm going to choose to love everybody that comes across my pathway, which would be my roommate. It would be the, the, the people next next door to me. It would be my my RA, my dorm supervisor, my teacher. And and that love would be within the framework of the mission of the school. So it would be definitely obedience because you can't love and not be obedient. You can't be rebellious and be loving. And if that would be your goal, being here would be a great blessing. Otherwise, it, it, you run into... then Once, once self-will comes in, uh, then everything begins to die. Well, that's an excellent way to, to express that. And when you when you read the 15 verbal descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and I studied that in detail, I'll tell you, the most convicting personal study I ever did mm. years ago. And I thought, my, I mean, I could I could be working and serving and burning my body out, and, and yet if it's not in agape love, it's a zero. Right. And that love then demands that I am not self-centered, self-seeking, because it's the giving of myself to meet the needs of another, expecting nothing in return. Right. And when we see the perfect love of God that was there, and, and boy, what an excellent way that you express that to your son, because really, if, I'm, if I love, uh, a good illustration of that second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15, which to me is the greatest ministry verse in the Bible. Hmm. Paul says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, knowing the more I love you, the less I will be loved by you. Hmm. I said, flesh cannot produce that hmm. because uh, I've come up with a lot of neuthetic plus counseling ideas as a leader that I had to submit back onto love, right. under love control. Right. Because <laughs> I, I had some good ways of controlling matters. Right, exactly. In fact, my wife told me one time, you have a lot of good ideas, just the wrong country. Right. And, uh, and really the wrong, <laughs> the wrong relationship. Right. 
But uh, uh, how can you how can you ignore the concept of love when it comes to me being available for someone else? And right. really, that's the heart of the servant. Right. Is that and what did Jesus love for the Father? And see, God the Father loved us, for God so loved the world. Jesus the Son loved the Father, mm -hmm. and His love to the Father was full obedience. Right. So we get to know God's love to us because God, the Son, loved the Father. Right. That doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love us, but we have the love model mm -hmm. for us because he totally loved the Father, which reflected in obedience, not my will, but thy will be done. When I, back when I was a, a youth pastor, uh, I was uh, studying um, 2 Peter 1, and as I worked through the the. <clears throat> the Add to your faith virtues, uh, you know, quality. So you got virtue, and you got knowledge, and you got uh, patience and temperance and brotherly kindness and so forth. After studying that, I thought, okay, these are <clears throat> these are the qualities that lead to spiritual maturity. You start in faith, and the end result is charity or agape, sacrificial love. So this is the pathway to get there. Peter says, "I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things all the time." I'm gonna make. I'm gonna. I've I've told you about these things. I'm gonna tell you about these things. And when I'm dead and gone, I'm gonna keep telling you about those things. And as I sat there and studied it, my my thought was: these are the qualities of Christian. What Christian education is all about, right? Because it's not just intellectual education, but it's the transformation of the life. Number one. Number two. As a leader, these are the things Paul Peter said. You got to emphasize these things. This needs to be the guidelines for your for your approach in education. And then thirdly, I came away thinking, okay, this is the responsibility of the leader. I can't force the followers to follow this, that they have to choose right. to do this. But on the other hand, if I neglect these things, then I failed as a leader in, in emphasizing the right things in it. And so when we, when we talk about standards and convictions, I'd like you to speak to this because, uh, you you brought out yesterday, uh, you know, you have policies built out of principles of how you live. But but when ministries or schools or institutions seemingly change those standards and convictions, and this is a tension point because there are some changes that need to take place, some changes that are cultural matters, some changes that become, if you don't change, they're stumbling, they're, they become hindrances. Right, right. But on the other hand, there should be some things that, you know, are, man, this is a problem if we change these things. And, and of course, the world that we're living in is everything's changing all the time. So I, I want you to say, speak to that, if you don't mind, about the, the, the issue of shifting standards and convictions. When is change appropriate? When is it not? You understand that because you, right, you face right. those things all the time. And I, the the way I, I would illustrate that uh, is, I'd have two two boats. I I would in my with my stickmen in my my boats with the overhead. Right. They used to call me less overhead and less overlay. Now it's less overtime. <laughs> but I would illustrate these things, and I'd put a boat, and I said, two guys go fishing. They're still fishing. They're not anchored. And uh, they're catching fish, all of a sudden not catching fish. And the guy says, hmm, I wonder if I moved. I look at that boat over there. No, I'm right in the same place because that boat is just where it was an hour ago. 
But the problem is they're both moving. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, if the world is my reference point, then I am going to think very comfortable. As the world moves, I move, and then I look and say, no, I haven't moved. But the problem is if I don't drop anchor of the word, the world is going to come identical, and I will just be a little bit behind the world mm-hmm. in their in how they live and their values and so on. And I said, but when we drop anchor in the word, that becomes our anchor point, our thesis. God is, God has spoken. Right. And uh, and I said, when when then the world keeps moving and I'm anchored to truth, the gap becomes much, much more evident. But if my reference point is not God's absolute truth, then my reference point is a moving world then I will move as the world moves. And, and like you say, there are certain things you have to, uh, you have to change that is not, that's not compromise. Right. Uh, wh- you know, where the world is at this point in particular uh, styles and so on. And, uh, but when you look at, and, and that Second Peter chapter 1 is a powerful foundation passage. Mm. And it, that ends in love there. And then it says, if these things be in you, what things? The things you add to your faith. If these things be in you and abound, you will never lack in the knowledge. Mm. And that's epinosis. Mm. It's the full knowledge, that Mm. which would cause me to imitate. Mm. And Paul's stated purpose, that I may know him. Mm. Because I think, okay, how how does that, to know him, what does that actually mean? Mm. Then when I... In fact, I had the young people memorize 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. And I thought, and then where it comes, if these things be in you and abound, you'll never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge, knowledge yeah. of him. But if you, if you lack these things, then you are, uh, you'll actually forget right. that conversion has taken place in your life. And, uh, and I think when... And in, in going through that, giving all diligence, mm-hmm. add to your faith, virtue. And, and I said, if we, if we bounce past virtue straight to knowledge, right. which I say, I used to tell North, I said, we as a staff, we cannot bypass virtue, right. holy moral character based on right moral choices, because we can be filled with knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then after that point, Everything from that point on is fruit of the Spirit in that passage. Mm-hmm. And so now, once I've done this, I've, I've said no to this, and I've said yes to this, now the fruit flows from me. It's not my struggle. It's the flow of the fruit that comes empowered by the Holy Spirit. Right. And I think that was very wise to analyze that aspect of that. And then it ends with that agape love. Right. That is really the model of, of what we need to be doing as as believers, and and what a pattern! I mean, I mean, it's it's just tremendous that you, as a leader, set that into your life. This is what we have to be as an institution. These well, things have to be being reflected. Yeah, those, those that has to be the outflow. Of, in other words, you, you want to have an atmosphere that is conducive for those qualities to be nurtured. And so a part of, of your 
your big picture in any organization, even here, is you want that atmosphere. You want an atmosphere that has virtue, that has patience, it has brotherly kindness, and you live in that atmosphere, and, and the ultimate goal is is to serve and be Christ-like. But uh, it, it there's always a pressure, and the pressure comes when people aren't follow, are not a part of the mission. Right. And then they speak into what you're doing, and they don't know why you're doing what you're doing, and they they don't get it, and then that's where your tension comes from. And then that's where people they begin to pressure you to change, when in reality, uh, that's that it, 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 that change is the reflection of shifting from your mission. Well, what, I've, what I'm impressed with here is the model that you used to do when you would train camp staff. I mean, they were more blessed than the campers who came because right, they right. were getting... But you transferred that disciple-making into the student body here. And, and to me, that's a key of, of uh, life-touching life, mentors, mentoring. They, in turn, become mentors. And what you built into the, into the program here makes a completely different atmosphere on a campus that wants to glorify God. Right. And uh, that's, that's very evident when you get a joyful, right, joyful campus, right, you know, and and you walk around and there's joy. There is a uh, like the response yesterday in chapel. It's a joyful response, right. But if uh, we wake up in the objective case and kickative mood, and and we, uh, you know, we're not going to attract anything or anybody. Right. So we need to be living in that joy and rejoicing. But that comes from a mentoring process. Right. As God changes hearts, and then in turn, I touch another person. And when I when I came here, one of the <clears throat> I sat down with with some of the people here that were involved in marketing, and uh, they're not in those roles any longer. But one of the suggestions was that if we would change a lot of things, it would make everything better here on campus, and everybody would be happier. And uh, <clears throat> I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to argue that we shouldn't make any changes. I said, but over the 30-plus years of ministry, I've, been, I've never been in a ministry that didn't have uh, ex- expectations of Christian behavior. Right. And, you know, and I said, I've never been in one like that, but I've always been in ministries where the people loved each other, they loved serving, and they were joyful in it, and actually those things did, were, were not a primary focal point. And uh, I said, so I actually think the problem is the inner life. And if the inner life has the outflow of, of, of God's joy and, and, and the, the fullness of the Spirit, and they're loving the Word, I said, those things are just, those things are secondary way down the line in matters of here. And if that's, and the key was getting back to the Word, that's the very core, that's, the, life is in the Word. So, so that with that, then your convictions just make sense because you're right. trying to live this out. And, and Christian people who are wanting to grow, they will, they will, that's what they'll want. And even when Jesus said that your joy might be full, you know, the one thing that needs to be very, very evident in a believer is joy. Right. A world, the dark, decaying world we're in now, if they don't see joy in the one who supposedly knows the giver of joy... Uh, they're not. They said they're no better off than I am. Right. Exactly. And yet, when you had the fullness of joy, which is a fruit of the spirit, 
that uh, that comes uh, it, it's it makes them fun to be around because right. yes i'm under pressure and i'm under the gun in my life and and yet this christian over here just seems he's just so good to be with right because he lifts my spirits because he is convinced what his god is his god is in control yeah and when we manifest that kind of mentality it it is uh and it's it's easy not to be joyful today right oh, but yeah. we have to be oh, yeah. joyful because that joy flows from our heart right. as, as a fruit of the spirit and and uh just thanking the lord for who he is and and what he does and and it should be very evident that we have the joy of the lord right well let's thank you for your time thanks for sitting in with us today and i know that what you said is going to be a real help to a lot of people as they think these things through and so Lord bless you in your work as you, uh, God gives you the next steps as you follow him. Oh, thank you. What a, always a blessing to be with you and, and to be here. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Highest Potential with Dr. Steve Pettit. Don't forget to find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.